Thank you for joining us on the inaugural episode of the PEBCAC podcast, a weekly information security show featuring some all around good people. I'm Chris Louie, sales engineer, and with me, I have Brian Deach, solutions architect. What's up, everyone? My name is Brian Deach. I'm a solutions architect with Zscaler out of Gilbert, Arizona. Honestly, I'm only here because I was told there'd be punching cookies. So high expectations, Chris. Sounds good. We've also got Glenn Medina, sales engineering manager. Hey everyone, welcome, thanks for joining us. And Chris, thank you very much for putting this together. Appreciate it. And yeah, like I said, I thought there was punching cookies as well, Brian, so should be interesting for us. All right, it's coming via a delivery app. So just keep an eye out for that. Combined, we have decades of information security experience and we're here not just to educate, but to entertain. A bit of housekeeping news. This is our inaugural podcast and we're going to be releasing new episodes on Mondays. So be sure to subscribe, make sure you get the latest episodes. For those of you wondering how we landed on the name, the PEBCAC podcast, the term PEBCAC, which is spelled P-E-B-C-A-K, is an inside joke among IT professionals. It stands for the problem exists between the chair and the keyboard. Basically an underhanded way of saying it's the user's fault or user error. As IT professionals, we know the problem of user error all too well. We could have called it the Layer 8 podcast, but that doesn't quite roll off the tongue in the same way. Without further ado, on to this week's news. In ransomware news, the top PC maker Acer, having a bit of a bad day, they got hit with a massive ransomware attack, and the attackers are demanding a $50 million payment, $50 million US dollars. This blows away the previous record for ransom demand, which as far as I know was about $32 million. Just got to one up that one. What do you guys think of this? $50 million. Small change (laughs) these days, right? It doesn't seem like a lot, but in actuality, it's a lot of money. Yeah. I'll, I'll second that. Well, number one, I'm surprised they're not asking for Bitcoin. And then two, I didn't even know Acer even made computers anymore. So that kind of blows me away. I'm a little out of touch. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure this ransom demand is, is in some t- type of uh, untraceable uh, cryptocurrency. And it just, just goes to show that even really highly sophisticated, mature organizations like Acer, they, one of the world's largest PC makers, they're susceptible that no, no organization has their security completely uh, airtight, uh, that if attackers want to find a way, they will get away. There's no word if this is potentially state-sponsored. This is some kind of disc wiping malware from a competitor. But man, $50 million. When I heard that number, I'll tell you, I, I was thinking, we're in the wrong business, gentlemen. We should really get in the ransomware business if we can make $50 million this way. Yeah, the only problem, though, Chris, is I don't like silver handcuffs. So it, that just doesn't look good on me. <laughs> yeah. 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 $50 million isn't enough yet. It would, it would definitely take the edge off, but yeah, I'm with I'm at the air with uh, Glenn on this one. Uh, those silver handcuffs, I mean, they go great in my complexion, but I don't like them. Yeah, I think it's definitely best to stay on the right side of the law when it, when it comes to this. All right, uh, when it comes to bypassing MFA, also known as multi-factor authentication, the tools, techniques, and practices, they're, they're just all over the place. When talking about Microsoft 365 or Office 365, probably the most targeted SaaS platform in existence today. 
hackers are getting more clever and ingenious on ways of bypassing that in order to gain unauthorized access to a user's account. Brian, why don't you walk us through how security researchers are, are always trying to build a better mousetrap? You know, actually, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to position how I, if I were the bad guy, how are you going to attempt to bypass your MFA for your company? You guys tell me about the mousetrap that you want to do. So it's all going to start with a phishing campaign. I'm going to send an email out. I'm looking for that one user that's going to click the link and they're going to land on what looks to be a login page for Microsoft Online. Lo and behold, there's actually uh, server technology. It's called Evil Jinx. It's, it's used for malicious stuff. And then what it's going to do, do right there is not only is it going to capture credentials, but it's going to proxy that and then send it over to the real Microsoft Online. And then when MFA kicks in, it's going to be sent to you directly. Once it's sent to you directly, you're going to see it. You're going to punch it in. I'm Again, I'm still going to proxy that request. And after I got that 200 OK, I, I should say, after Microsoft responds with the 200 OK, I'm going to take those session cookies, e.g. the stuff that's used to identify you going into Microsoft Online, and now I have a temporary foothold into your organization, right? Those cookies, they, they could be for 24 hours. They could be for 45 minutes. You never really know. But my goal as bad guy is to take that and then dig a little bit deeper. So obviously if I can get into to your Microsoft services, the first thing I'm gonna do is try to upload some malware into Office 365, OneDrive or SharePoint. And then I wanna email people in your, in, in your, your organization, a link to that OneDrive piece of malware and have them install that. That way I can have a permanent foothold into your environment and start doing my command and control. So when you guys look at that, what do you think? Uh, Glenn, I think I'll pick on you first. When looking at a, a mousetrap, what's the first thing that you would do to, to kind of stop that? Ah, that's a good question, Brian. Mousetrap, well, I don't know. To stop it from getting bit or stop from, from uh, being able to get through it? And get Think about the it from, the, from patient zero, from the, from the first moron that clicks the, the link all the way through, you know, someone dumping some malware into OneDrive and then having other users click and, and, and install the malware. What would you do? What, what's, what's the first thing you think about? I mean, just normal email security, right? Is what comes through my mind. It's like, hey, how can you stop this from, a, from an overall process before it even lands to the user's desktop where they can even click on that email? That would be one, right? That's one, absolutely. What about you, Chris? Where would you start? Where would I even start? Well, as... You guys should know security is is all about layers. It's all about defense and depth. So the first layer would likely be something like an, an email uh, security solution where it scans a link, it goes to the link, makes sure there's, there's no malware there. Uh, and in some type of inline solution as well, when somebody downloads a file, ensuring that that file does not uh, contain malware, that's that's yet another layer. I think ultimately where, where we want to go is, well, number one, passwords are just an awful method of authentication. Uh, MFA, even better, but I would say not, not perfect. Uh, but being able to ensure that even if a user loses their username and password, that, that bad guys can't use that and, and leverage an attack off of those credentials. Where I think we want to go is some type of, of user behavior analysis. Now that we have the power of, of AI, now that we have the power of machine learning, we can start to learn people's habits. The problem with behavior-based uh, controls, in the, at least in the past, 
was establishing that baseline. So establishing that baseline and seeing if something strays from that baseline. If I upload you know, one gig a day to, to OneDrive and all of a sudden I upload 10 gigs a day to OneDrive, well, there's something might be fishy there. Or if I post a file to OneDrive, in your example, I post a malicious file to OneDrive, uh, on an average day, I post a file, I'll share it with maybe 20 of my colleagues because they work in my group. But all of a sudden, I, I post a file on OneDrive and I share it to 2,000 of my colleagues. Now, that seems odd. That seems odd behavior. And having those types of controls using AI and machine learning, I think we can identify threats like that uh, and, and potentially stop that before that, that malware get, gets out of hand. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I was, I was thinking in lines as well, not only the email protection, but maybe if you think about like a, a malicious website, generally speaking, it's up for less than 30 days, right? Wouldn't it be beautiful if you had a, the, the, the ability to detect if it's a newly registered domain in block right there? Now that, that could be heavy handed, maybe warn the user, whatnot, but let's say that you missed that or it was day, 30, uh, you know, day 31 and the credentials had been harvested and the attacker was doing its thing. I would also like, you know, outside of the, the AI or ML, the ability from an, an API perspective to go into OneDrive and to look for stuff that seems fishy, right? Uh, whether it's zero day um, or it's a known uh, piece of malware or some type of, you know, polymorphic code that's that's running, be able to pick that up, isolate and block it. But let's, let's keep pretending, right? Let's say that we even missed that. Wouldn't it be great that if uh, the user had installed that piece of malware that malware has to phone back home at some point in time. Now you start getting into the whole like zero trust, microseg type of story. So again, I think I, I do think it's the you know defense in depth. But I think if you have a solution that is always in line in front of the user and protects them, you're going to pick it up eventually, even if all these other layers had failed. I agree. When you think of things like the the cyber kill chain, if you can just break the link at any one of those spots that, that you mentioned. So, so you're saying, assume we miss this, assume we miss that, assume we miss this. Sure, you know, that stuff happens. Nobody has a 100% secure solution, but having those layers, having that defense in depth, I think is it really is the strategy that being able to, to catch something within the chain, break the chain, and then stop a potentially uh, disastrous type attack. Yeah. And great point, guys. I mean, and I take this back and I boil this down to what would my dad do, right? My dad's 80 plus years old. And I think of him just click on every, clicking on everything on the internet or on in his email, because it's like, hey, there's a discount of 60%. And you don't want to miss this. And he's always clicking on something. And I sit there and I shake my head and I'm like, God, dad, you can't be this gullible. But people are. And it's it's education behind that that's probably just as key uh, along with the technologies that protect people, right? So I sit down a lot with my parents and my, you know, specifically my dad, cause he's the one that has access to the computer. And I have to tell him and remind him, I was like, hey, not everything on the internet is good. You have to remember if it looks fishy, just delete it. Yeah. Dude, that, that's so funny, Glenn. Uh, actually, I actually have a customer in hospitality and their biggest pain point in life is churn, like having to replace people that do dumb things, right? And so they were doing fish me training and no matter how hard it happened, like they would try, there were people that were falling into second, third, repeat fenders into this and to the degree where they would actually take someone from housekeeping, bring them in and write, all right, we're gonna sit down together. We're gonna do the house, the, uh, the fish me training. And then I'm gonna send you a phishing email. What do you do? They're like, we click the link. 
It's like, no, you don't click the link. You got to stop doing that. <laughs> so instead, uh, what they did is that if a user had actually failed phishing training, the behavior from an inline proxy standpoint was you were assigned an active directory group or group membership called internet jail, which meant you were allowed to go to five <laughs> mission critical, business critical type of websites. But for everything else that you would try to go to, like you, you, you go to SharePoint online, you can go to uh, Dropbox. But if you went to BrianDeach.com, you were met with the redirect that took you back to the Fish Me training awesome. page. Yeah, I thought that was really That clever, is awesome. All that is awesome. by identity. Yeah. I, lo I love that term, internet jail. I'm going to have to start using that one. But perfect way to describe it. All right. Un under things that really make you rub your temples, Frito-Lay. They're a snack company based out here in, in the U.S. They make uh, various snack foods and potato chips. Uh, they released, this is actually true. I had, I had to double check this, but this is actually true. <laughs> they released a Chrome plugin that turns on your computer's microphone. The, the goal of that is it listens for the distinct sound of a Lay's bag ruffling. Lay's is a brand of potato chips, so potato chip bag ruffling, and the crunch of chips being eaten. Now, if you happen to be eating a bag of Lay's potato chips while you're watching YouTube, this plugin automatically turns on subtitles for you so you don't have to use your greasy hands and touch the, the mouse of the keyboard. So knowing that a potato chip company is making a Chrome plugin that turns on your microphone, uh, what could possibly go wrong? First thing in my mind is like, how do they know it's a Lay's bag along with the Lay's chip. So I, again, like I said, I, I find this comical, but yeah, to Brian. Yeah, I, I hate everything about this, to be honest with you, right? Like if, if the Frito company is figuring this out, like what are the bad guys doing? But on the flip side of the coin, like if there was like a Rockstar energy drink plugin that can like listen for me, crack open a cold one and, and hear me chugging away and then it, it, it automatically reaches out to my Amazon uh, account and then it ships me more like that'd be pretty cool or or if, like expo markers like I've started hearing like the the, the expo pen running out of gas uh, like where it gets really squeaky at the end that'd be kind of cool but at the same time maybe just don't be lazy and just buy that stuff instead of re re you know relying on the internet to do it for you I think with AI machine learning and just the immense compute power that we have nowadays this really falls into, yeah, we can do it, but should we really do it? So I'm just going to say that and leave it at that. Well, you don't want an orange keyboard, do you, Chris? I mean, <laughs> let's be honest here. That's very true. Very true. Wow. Oh, you're thinking Cheetos. Is that a Frito company? I don't even Fritos, know. Fritos, Cheetos, they're all the same. <laughs> We're looking for sponsors. Get on the, get on the train, guys. <laughs> That's right. All right, moving on. Uh, Citigroup, one of the largest banking uh, companies here based in the U.S., uh, they've implemented what they call Zoom-free Fridays, citing Zoom fatigue. So not only Zoom-free Fridays, but absolutely no internal meetings on Friday whatsoever. This follows another you know, only during a pandemic type of study uh, out of Australia, which cited workers really, really disliking the Friday Zoom happy hours with their coworkers. Uh, so, Glenn, as a manager, what are your thoughts? Zoom free Fridays, Zoom happy hours. What do you think? Yeah, you know, as a recently anointed uh, manager here in Zscaler, uh, it's, it's interesting, right? So, I look at it as you know, how much time are are people spending in Zoom, 
and then how much time are they actually able to get the work done in between? And if you look at people's calendars, it's just it's, it's just phenomenal how much back to back we have and how much running over we have. I mean, if you look at a, a normal person's workday, they're probably oversubscribed for the week. So yes, we we actually have Zoom fatigue. The question is trying to balance that. And I, I like where Citigroup is going with this is the idea that you know they're they're giving employees time to get away from Zoom, concentrate on their on their tasks that they need to do to accomplish their tasks. They're not the only ones to do this. I've seen some of my other customers do this as well. And this is great. I, I totally applaud them. The reality is, you know, are, are, are companies and employees really going to be able to apply that and abide by that, knowing some of the things that they have going on? So while the effort is great, uh, what's the reality of, of that, of being able to enforce that or, or be able to abide by that? So when I, when I hear that, Glenn, what I really hear is now I'm going to have, instead of Zoom meetings on Fridays, I'm going to have Zoom meeting Mondays, where I'm going to have 12 hours back to back meetings and uh, you know zoom is great i love being able to interact with people but it is becoming shockingly aware of like how many meetings we have that could have been done via slack or just a text message like there was no reason to round up all the troops for something very trivial so i'm not a huge fan of that what do you think chris yeah, I think I, I echo your sentiments. It, it's a bit of a game of whack-a-mole. You know, you, you whack out meetings on, on Friday and they just pop back up on Monday or they pop back up on Tuesday or they pop up 6 a.m. on Wednesday. Um, yeah, I think that's, it's a good start, I would say. It's definitely a good start. But I, I think to your point, uh, Brian and Glenn, yeah, finding out the root cause of why we have uh, so many meetings and see if there's a, a better way of maybe accomplishing that through through other mediums and give some people their, their time back. Or... You know, we, we've also received guidance. If you have to be on a Zoom call, go go listen to the Zoom call and take it while you're while you're walking outside. Take it while you're on an exercise bike. So you can yeah. definitely multitask. I think that's that's also encouraged as well. Yeah, and I agree with that, Chris. Is the idea that we should be able to challenge if even if we really need to be in attendance in some of these meetings. Because if, like I said, as a manager, I'm looking at to see how many how much time is spent on internal meetings versus external meetings. And I see a lot more internal meetings than there are requirements for external meetings, right? So if we could just really get down to why are we having so many internal meetings, that's probably where the rub, you know, where the rubber meets the road there and the the rub is with people's time. Um, Again, my, my thing is like trying to look at it holistically and making sure that everybody can do everything in the time that they're allotted. Granted, like I said, deadlines, you know, that's probably the the corner case, right, is where people need to meet deadlines and have to work those extra days or extra hours. Um, but I'll tell you, you know, what I do miss, and, and like I said, I think you guys would agree with this, is the idea that when we were on the road or going back into the office, we had that time to us where in our commute to the office, you know, we could listen to a podcast, we could listen to the radio, we could listen wink, to wink. the news and decompress, right? Or if you were on a plane, no one could get, no one could invite you anyway to a meeting because guess what? You're on a plane or in route traveling somewhere. So those are the days that I do miss. And I, like I said, hopefully one day we'll be able to get back to some sense of normalcy. Indeed, indeed. One of those, like I said, only during a pandemic things. Speaking of the old days, has anyone missed the, the Zoom bombs? I was never bombed myself, but a lot of the, uh, the things you would find on, on the internet, like this, the craziness, I, I, I semi-missed that. I'm just glad it never happened to me. 
I, yeah, yeah. I, I think if there's if there's no victim there, I think they were they were pretty good. But yeah, there there were definitely some victims there, which I I can't can't get on board with. But but yeah, the victimless ones. Yeah, yeah. definitely the dancing the, dinosaur. <laughs> yeah, the zoom bombs didn't. Like I said it, the zoom bombs weren't the funny one. It's the in in uh, the accidental. You know, put you put your camera on and you're sitting on the toilet or you're in, in some unforeseen. Um, uh, you're in something that you shouldn't be seen in, like your, you know, like the guy takes off his T-shirt in the middle of a Zoom meeting, you know, and saying that you're you're the best, <laughs> you know, and he forgets <laughs> that he didn't put himself on mute, you know, during the call or take himself off video. Those are the good ones, right? Those are the bloopers I, that uh, make the Internet. I feel like you're calling me out specifically because early <laughs> on, I want to say, I don't know if it was June or whatnot, but there was like an all hands meeting where it wasn't like the webinar one that we had. And I was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to take this while I'm outside running. And next thing you know, I'm getting text messages like, hey, Brian, are you running outside? And is your shirt off? I'm like, oh, my God, like this is terrible. That that literally happened. That is awesome. Or the guy that yeah joins the all hands and is still in bed, laying down and sleeping and listening to the all hands. Right. So <laughs> those are the funny ones. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can say we've all been there. Uh, for our last segment, uh, we're going to try and do something different every week. And uh, this week, where the topic is going to be uh, dad jokes. I think that's one of the things, at least around the office, I'm pretty famous for uh, dad jokes. Uh, the people, my fellow co-hosts here have some pretty good zingers. So we thought we'd just share them with you guys. Uh, so without further ado, why did the hipster burn his mouth while eating pizza? Because he ate it before it was cool. <laughs> Oh, Chris. <laughs> Sympathy lab. All right, Brian, you're up. Okay, you know what I love to do? Answer my own questions. You're up, Glenn. <laughs> okay. So, you know, I love my dad, and I'm going to probably have him on my top of mind here for the next several Zoom sessions here, or for the next several uh, sessions here. So my dad told me his password. Mickey, Minnie, Goofy, Donald, Pluto, Huey, Dewey, Louie, and Washington. And he said this, and I said, well, hey, why is your password that long? And he said, his password had to contain eight characters and at least one capital. Oh, man. Bless his heart. I love your dad. (laughs) Can he be my dad, please? There you go. Number one, he's not wrong. And number two, his password is compliant. That's right. All right, everyone. Well, well, thanks for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Uh, you can find us all on LinkedIn. I'm going to put the, the links in the description here. Uh, the best way to find us is to search for the, the Pebcac podcast. That's P-E-B-C-A-K podcast on your favorite podcast listening app. And right now we're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Stitcher. So whatever platform you use, you'll be able to find this. We'll see you all next week. And as always, have a nice day.